You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're up and running again. So sweet, splendid, succinct, just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort or 1,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see your beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet. Nobody picks him up. Wide-eyed, thrilled, bemused. How on earth did that happen? Hello and welcome to another episode of Wonder Goal presented by the Action Network. I am your host today, BJ Cunningham. Michael Eboff will be out for an episode. So it'll be myself and my good friend and colleague, Anthony DeBundo, taking you across the European landscape, breaking down the entire weekend slate of Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A, and even Ligue 1 matches but we have to start in the premier league and there's really only one place that we can start it's on saturday at 12 30 eastern time manchester city league leaders manchester city are hosting tottenham manchester city is sitting at minus 370 with tottenham sitting at 11 to 1 on the money line with the draw at plus 475 anthony i'll start with you as our resident spurs fan on this podcast Tottenham's obviously lost three straight. The The top four battle has become incredibly interesting with those three losses. Man City seems to be on cruise control right now with the eight-point lead at the top of the table. Do you think that this is a potential buy-low spot for your Spurs going to the Etihad to take on a red-hot Manchester City squad? Yeah, I do. And, you know, Manchester City is obviously the best team in the league. They have the most impressive numbers when you look at expected goals and, and they're likely to win this league. But Tottenham have been a bit of a bogey team for them in recent years. Uh, ask any city fan, they'll tell you uh, this is just for some reason, you know, Tottenham's ability to hit on the counter with Kane and Son has given this defense a lot of trouble. Uh, and you can even go back to opening day. That was a long time ago. These two teams were in very different situations. Spurs had a different manager. Kane didn't even play in that match, but even still, you know, Son and Mora's ability to find space, I think really, bothers this city defense and, and they've caused a lot of problems. They won that game one nil uh, a little bit lucky as they tend to always be when they play city on these expected goals situations. But, you know, when you create over one expected goal and, and win the game uh, against city, you know, you've done something right. Uh, and yes, they've lost three straight games, but I think Conte's going to make some adjustments here and they've gone to the two man midfield for the majority of those three games. And they've kind of been overrun at times. Harry Winks and Hoy isn't quite enough in the midfield to, to sustain it. Uh, And Conte switched to a three-man midfield about the 30th minute after a disastrous opening 30 against Wolves. And they played a lot better. If you look at the overall box entry numbers in that Wolves game, it was something like 31 to 14. Uh, So Spurs still created and and controlled a lot of that match. It was just a very weird start. Included some bad misses from Kane and Kulisevsky. 
uh, and some poor goalkeeping play from Hugo Lloris, which is all pretty uncharacteristic. This Tottenham team still has a ton of attacking regression coming. I'm just going to repeat that every week for the next month. And and they're going to, you know, Kane and Son are historically two of the best finishers in the league. That's not going to uh, continue to be in the slump that they've been in. I think they'll be able to find some success on the counter here. And the back three with Romero, uh, Romero likes to step up a lot and be aggressive. He's one of the most aggressive, uh, you know, fullback or center backs in the world. That works more in this matchup, I think, because City don't really have a true striker who's occupying those spaces. So I don't hate the Spurs team total over a half is minus one ten. I think they, there's a good chance they score here, but I'm personally have already played the plus one and a half at plus one Oh five. I just think it's a little bit steep. Uh, and even though they're on the road at the Etihad, it's a, it's a weird spot for city coming off the champions league. Uh, so I, th- I think uh, Tottenham will be more rested and they'll, they'll be all in here following three straight losses. Yeah, I agree with you. If I had to play something here, I'd probably play Tottenham. I'm ultimately going to pass because it's just hard to play against Manchester City at this time. I kind of learned my lesson in the midweek uh, against Sporting, trying to take them plus one and a half. It's really hard, especially for a team like Tottenham or a bigger side who's, you know, majority of the time they play throughout the season, they're used to having the ball and, and being a more possession dominant side. Obviously, they have experience when they have to play against some of these bigger uh, sides like Man City or Liverpool, etc. But with how dominant City has been with their possession, it's really hard for a team with this much, you know, talent and everything to say, hey, we're going to sit back for essentially two thirds of the match in our own half and try to defend and, and look to hit him on the counter. Now, Tottenham's obviously capable of doing that. And they've, you know, shown in the past they've been able to do it with the City, but it's a really difficult way to play. And you kind of saw that with Real Madrid in the match against PSG. It's that if you're going to play that type of uh, style, playing very defensive, you know, two babies, basically two low blocks, you have to be precision on point with your counters you cannot be sloppy like like we saw with Real Madrid they were incredibly sloppy and they couldn't get anything moving forward and PSG basically just every press they had just took the ball away and Man City is capable of that type of pressure as well so uh, ultimately I will be passing I think the market is pretty uh, pretty dead on uh, with this number you know you potentially could look at it under but again you know this if City scores first then Tottenham's gonna have to come out of there whatever type of defensive shell that they have, and it could turn into a high-scoring match. So I will ultimately be passing. Norwich did get to eight shots, uh, and Brentford got to a little over half of an expected goal. So, you know, those aren't good attacking numbers, but, you know, Spurs obviously are much better attack than those two teams. But it's not that City, you know, they can suffocate any team at any time, but there have been a few cracks. They just haven't been punished at all. And I think, you know, Brentford especially, there was a few moments where it looked like they were going to break through. And then they just couldn't quite find the final pass. Well, Tottenham's the kind of team that that can absolutely punish you there. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about it last podcast, but obviously the city performances against bigger sides haven't really been up to the more dominating form that we've saw in years past, especially in the new year. Obviously, the the 2-1 win against Arsenal was pretty lucky. They were not the better side for the first 45 minutes. Uh, Chelsea, it was pretty even. You know, basically a De Bruyne, a wonder goal from outside the box, only created about 07 uh, expected goals, and they've had a pretty easy run up until this point when they have to face Tottenham. So it's a very interesting match, and it's a really, really huge match because if Tottenham wins the top four race, they, they're they right back in it there with Arsenal. If they lose, that makes it really troublesome, and then Arsenal takes a huge advantage in terms of the top four. And if they can beat City, well, then Liverpool is right back in uh, the title race. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, let's move on to... Saturday morning at 7.30 a.m. Eastern time, West Ham is hosting Newcastle. The Hammers are minus 145. Newcastle sitting at plus 400 with the draw at plus 295. I'll start. I do like West Ham in this matchup. I think it is a pretty good uh, spot to essentially 
get right at this offense. It's like we haven't really seen them play up to the level that they've been capable capable of uh, previously in this season. The big thing here, though, is Newcastle has lost Kieran Trippier pretty much for the rest of the season with a broken foot. And that is obviously huge for Newcastle because he has really revitalized not only their defense, but in terms of progressing the ball up the field, you know, supplying the attack. He has been a much, much better option for them that they've had all season long. Newcastle, basically since they brought in all the new transfers, they've been pretty good defensively, you know, three, three and a half expected goals in four matches, but those four matches were against Watford, Leeds, Everton, and Aston Villa, who were all in the bottom half of the Premier League in terms of expected goals for, uh, you know, even the last match against Aston Villa was quite concerning because Newcastle really didn't create anything of value. The, they only had 0.4 expected goals, 14 shot creating actions, 15 touches in Villa's penalty area. It was basically just a Karen Trippier free kick. And that was basically the difference. And they're also still without Callum Wilson, their backup right back, Javier Manquillo, is also injured. So they're going to be on a third choice right back for this one, which is not good uh, when you're having to defend the wingers that uh, West Ham has, in, like Pablo Fornales or Benarama, whoever it's going to be there on the left side, can really punish Newcastle up the wing there. West Ham, they play much better at home than they have on the road this season. Plus five and a half expected goal differential at the Olympic Stadium versus minus 1.9 on the road. One thing to keep an eye on, uh, especially is the status of Jared Bowen. As at the time we're taping this on Wednesday night, he is questionable, along with Kurt Zuma also being questionable. If Bowen is out or he doesn't start, then this is a complete pass. Stay away, just let it go. But as it stands right now, if Bowen is in the lineup, uh, I do think there is some value on West Ham minus 145. I have them projected around minus 175. I think it's a really good get right spot for them with a really depleted Newcastle defense. Do you have anything for West Ham versus Newcastle? Yeah, I think the market uh, is is catching up to what I what I've kind of felt about this West Ham team for the last few weeks. The, uh, overrated is the word. Um, One point seven expected goals created against United, who we've talked about. It's a pretty mediocre defense right now. Uh, Leicester, who is the third worst defense in the league, and Watford, who is the second worst. So they just played you know three bad defenses, and they failed to get 10 shots in any of those games. They failed to uh, surpass one expected goal. They did score uh, one or two against Leicester, including a stoppage time header off a corner. uh, And then one over the top ball to Bowen that led to a chance. It was pretty poor defending from Leicester, but they just aren't right. Something's wrong with, with their attack. And it's a lot of it, I think is just regression. I think they played above their heads in the first half of the season. uh, And now, you know, as the season goes on and the players are wearing out a little bit because they're so thin. Now they have, uh, you know, Europa league on the horizon as well coming up uh, in a few weeks. I just think there's something off about this team. And I don't want to lay minus 140 against a Newcastle team who I think is improving. And it makes a lot of sense, right? They added a bunch of players and they're, players they have now are better than the players they had before. So now they're playing better. Uh, And sometimes it really is that simple. Uh, I think these teams are trending in opposite directions I can't get there on the number. Like you said, if this was a minus 170 and we were looking at five, five to one on Newcastle, I think I'd fire on it. Um, I don't hate a shot on Newcastle on the money line. I think if you wanted to play this, that's the way to look because uh, if, if we're right, or, you know, if what I think is right and that these two teams are trending in opposite directions and, and they continue to go that way, you've got a decent number on a road here. So uh, that would be where I would look, but probably going to end up passing here. And uh, I need to go scrounge the West Ham calendar to figure out my fade spots because uh, I'm looking for them. I'm on the hunt. 
We'll see. I think this is a really good get right spot for them. I do think they're a really, really good offense. But again, Jared Bowen's got to play for me because he's everything to their attack right now. Like you mentioned, all their regression without Jared Bowen, they would be nothing. So uh, it's it's West Ham or nothing for me. Let's move on. Uh, my Arsenal Gunners are hosting one of our favorite teams on this podcast, the Brentford Bees. Arsenal is minus 240. Uh, Brentford sitting at seven to one with the draw at plus 360. I'll give everybody my thoughts on Arsenal in a second, but do you have anything for Brentford versus Arsenal? Yeah, I think the under is the look if you're going to play this. Uh, I'm, you know, Brentford would be a big bet for me if they were at home, but again, it's the away home splits for this team. Arsenal also a big difference between them when they're at home versus when they've been on the road this season. Bees are just averaging 0.95 expected goals per 90, only scoring about 0.85 away from home this season uh, when even strength. That's the fifth worst in the league. Uh, and they've only... You know, Arsenal's only scored two goals in the last seven matches in all competitions. That includes league and FA Cup. This this attack has come down a little bit, cooled off after that absurd run they had in, in December during the festive period. Uh, and they've only conceded five goals in those seven matches. And three of those five were to Liverpool. And uh, well, we can't compare them to Brentford. Uh, and it's a big revenge spot. Arsenal was embarrassed on opening day uh, at the Brentford Community Stadium, lost 2-0. So you have to imagine that they, they're, they're out for and, and they're going to be focused for this match especially given the fact they really haven't played much recently because they had the match over the weekend canceled. Uh, so I would lean toward the under if I played it. The number seems a little inflated on Arsenal. I, I think you agree with that. Uh, but I don't think either of us are running to bet Brentford either. Yeah, I'm right in lockstep with you. The Arsenal is overvalued here, and I actually am showing a little bit of value on Brentford. But the matchup is not good at all because we've mentioned it plenty of times. Brentford is really bad away from the Brentford Community Stadium. Minus six and a half expect a goal differential and averaging under one expected goal per match arsenal if you look at their expected goals numbers you'll see it's kind of low compared to the rest of the top four but a lot of that is just they've gotten pounded by liverpool city and chelsea they against the bottom half of the table this season they're eight two and two with a plus 11 and a half expected goal differential and only allowing 0.89 expected goals per match now they obviously got a huge huge win against wolves uh, last thursday despite a red card from gabriel martinelli in the second half he won't be in this one that obviously hurts Arsenal, but this is a match they absolutely need if they want to finish in the top four. Brentford, the the form's really, really bad, and there's going to be a lot of opportunities to buy low on Brentford going forward, but this is not one of those opportunities. They did draw with Crystal Palace over the weekend in a match they probably should have won, uh, but only four points in their last 10 Premier League matches. Uh, the, re- the, the big thing with Arsenal, the reason I think that this resurgence has happened is they've done a much, much better job at playing through pressure. So if we start from basically the Southampton match, which is the first sign where Arsenal actually started to turn things around and look like the side that, that I think that we all think they're capable of Arsenal's offensive passes per defensive action is at 14.3, which is fourth in the premier league over that time span. When in the matches before December 11th, it was around 12, which is around seventh in the premier league. So I don't think Brentford's pressing is going to be as successful as it potentially was in the first match. If you go back to that first match, obviously uh, Gabrielle was out. Uh, Arsenal was missing a few guys here and there. Uh, they, they did get a ton of shots off against Brentford, but I think they had like 22 shots and only created about 1.3 expected goals. So kind of embarrassing uh, performance in terms of actually creating some high quality chances. Again, this price is, is a, a little inflated on Arsenal, but like you said, I'm not rushing to the window uh, to bet Brentford because it's really not that great of a matchup for the bees, but we'll, we'll find a, pl- a time to, to buy low on the bees, but this is not that time. And no Martinelli takes away their second 
shot guy after Lacazette. Yeah. And I think that's a big loss, especially since they don't have a ton of depth anymore. Aubameyang is gone. We don't know the Nicole, you know, the Pepe situation is kind of in flux. Um, I'm just not sure there's a ton of shots in this team. And of course they got plenty of them in the first meeting, like you said, but again, it, it would be a strong lean toward the under. I may end up playing this if it gets juiced up a little bit, uh, but right now no play. Yeah. It'll be a Mill Smith row on the left would be my guess. Uh, Nicholas Pepe is just, he's just not there. I, I don't know what happened. That's one of the biggest Arsenal flops ever. Um, but I think Arsenal just needs to move on. Was to it him, 70 that, million? 80. Um, but that is a conversation for another day, Anthony. Let's move on. Uh, Aston Villa, Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa. They are hosting Watford. Aston Villa sitting at minus 165. Watford at plus 475 with the draw at plus 310. I'll start. I'm really sour, or I could say I'm not, I'm really skeptical of this Aston Villa team right now. It's not, it's a team that I'm not really, I'm looking to really kind of sell, sell high on. Obviously they've had a lot of good performances and a good results, but they have not been an offensive juggernaut whatsoever. In, in his 12 matches in charge under Gerrard in the Premier League, Aston Villa has only created 10.7 expected goals. Now they have been pretty good defensively over that time span. They've only allowed 14.5 expected goals, but 5.3 uh, came against Liverpool and Chelsea. So they've had some pretty good defensive performances against teams not in the top four. Watford has obviously switched to a 4-4-2 under Roy Hodgson, and the results, at least defensively, have been much improved. Uh, they've only allowed 2.9 expected goals in his three matches in charge and done a much better job of clogging up the middle of the pitch. Now, the change is also in that type of structure, though, has also seen a big-time dip in their offensive output as they've only got 1.8 expected goals uh, in their three matches and are only averaging about 19 touches in the opposing penalty area, which if that keeps up is going to be bottom three uh, in the premier league. Both these teams have pretty heavy counterattacking profiles uh, that both significantly more direct attacks than build up plays, which is fine, but it also means there's going to be not a lot of meaningful possession, a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, turnovers in the middle of the, the pitch, but also these two are two teams that, really haven't been that clinical uh, in front of net. So given how poor Aston Villa has been offensively under, under Gerrard combined with Watford's new uh, 4-4-2 and improved defensive performance under Hodgson, I think it's a decent chance to, to buy an under. So um, I'm going to go under two and a half goals at minus 110 because I think this is going to be a potentially a pretty low event game with Watford sitting deep for most of the match. Do you have anything for Aston Villa versus Watford? Yeah, I'll agree here. I'll endorse the under two and a half. Uh, I think it's the only look here. Villa has improved a lot on the counter. I thought the Leeds match was incredibly impressive from them, even though they drew uh, and I faded them in that game and, and cash a ticket. But, you know, Coutinho is so good uh, in those spaces. And I think he makes this team so much better on the counter and makes, you know, a pretty otherwise mediocre attack come to life. I mean, he, he is the missing piece, uh, you know, that fits in perfectly with Watkins. So, and Ramsey, who's really come along quite a bit uh, and the attack has fallen through the floor with, with, uh, with Watford 0.8 expected goals against Brighton and Burnley, uh, Burnley, a team who is, you know, conceding goals left and right and conceding chances left and right. And Brighton, not a terrible performance. I thought at Watford, they were fine, but just really nothing uh, at all. And, you know, Brighton's a top five defense, so we don't, we don't count it against them, but you know, when they played earlier this year, Watford offered much more going forward. Uh, and I think when Villa is forced to break a team down, that will be the next test. And we really haven't seen quite of that. We saw they lost at Newcastle last time out uh, in, a, in a situation where they were asked to kind of be the better team. And now they're, you know, minus one, 160. It's kind of steep. Uh, so 
I would lean toward the under as well and lean toward Watford plus one. Yeah, I, I agree. The Aston Villa, like you said, it's 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 tough when you have a big time counterattacking profile and you're asked to be the more possession dominant side. They did hold 63% possession against Newcastle, but really wasn't able to do anything with it. Only 0.4 expected goals. So, and even the match against Leeds, Leeds held 60% possession against them. So it'll be interesting to see, like you said, if they have to hold most of the possession and try to break a 4-4-2 down, are they capable of doing it? I'm not so sure. All right, let's move on. Uh, Brighton, another one of our favorite teams here on the podcast. They are hosting Burnley. Brighton is sitting at minus 135, Burnley at plus 425 with the draw at plus 270. I'm leaning Brighton, but I'll let you give the people your thoughts uh, before I tell everybody why we need to avoid a potential meltdown from Brighton. Yeah, I mean, the regression indicators point toward the over in this game. Brighton underperforming expected goals once again. The defense has been uh, a bit you know, fortunate. Uh, they will not have Lewis Dunk for this game because of suspension. Uh, they've only created 25 goals from uh, about 28 expected. And Burnley's attack has, has had some signs of life. They did create a lot of chances on the counter against Liverpool in the last match and really should have scored one, maybe even two goals in that game, uh, finished with over one expected goal. Uh, and they've only scored 17 goals from their 20 expected goals. Both teams have scored very tempting, especially given how much Brighton and Burnley created in their last match against United and uh, Liverpool respectively, and just couldn't quite find the finish. So I think there's a chance this game is more open. Uh, you know, Brighton are, are in a situation where they're safely in the mid table and they're kind of just able to play their, their kind of football and, and, and really express themselves. And I think Brighton is a team who could become a sneaky over team in the, in the, you know, toward the end of the season, if they continue sitting kind of in the mid table, because the defense naturally tends to drop off at the end of the season when teams are playing for anything market does price that in, but I think you're going to see this Brighton team maybe be a little more aggressive going forward. I wouldn't shock me if that were the case. Also wouldn't shock me if they just missed every chance like they always do. So, uh, you know, I would lean toward the over, uh, don't really want to lay the 135 and uh, no interest in Burnley here. So that that's where I would look if anything, but this is, this is probably the clearest uh, stay away for me on the board this weekend. Yeah. It's going to take a lot for me to stay away from Brighton. I obviously, I just need a better number. Uh, it's, this is too steep to lay with Brighton, even though I do have a little bit of projected value on them. You mentioned it last you know, podcast that over the last two seasons, Brighton is the least profitable team as a favorite in the premier league, which is just not good. It means they're very good as an underdog, uh, but not very good as a favorite in terms of actually getting margin against these smaller sides. I will say that Brighton, I do think they have a lot of uh, advantages in terms of they'll be able to control the possession. They'll be able to build it from the back without a lot of resistance. They'll be able to get a lot of shots, a lot of box entries, because Burnley's dead last defensively in both those. We've also spoke about it before, but Burnley's having a lot of trouble uh, away from home. Minus 10.8 expected goal differential away from Turf Moor in only 11 matches. Uh, Brighton has allowed the fifth fewest expected goals off of set pieces as well. So that's another advantage they'll have over Burnley. Again, I really need a better price than Brighton here. If it drops down to minus 125, minus 120, I'll probably end up firing on Brighton. But at this current number of minus 135, it's a, it's a stay away from me. All right, let's move on to a London Derby. Uh, Crystal Palace is hosting Chelsea Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern. Crystal Palace is sitting at plus 450. Chelsea is a minus 155 road favorite with the draw at plus 290. Uh, this is a really interesting match. Uh, a really, really good spot for Crystal Palace. I'll, I'll uh, give uh, everybody my thoughts here in a second, but I'll let you kick it off for this one. 
I mean, it's a situational nightmare for Chelsea, right? Like they just yep. won the club world cup over Palmeiras in the final that went to extra time, very Look emotional, back. big, big time victory. They, they played pretty poorly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they went up and deserved the lead, but then Palmeiras gets a, a penalty to get back into it. But overall a very mediocre Chelsea showing. And, you know, you could excuse that, but now they're in a sandwich here, right? They have this road trip to palace ahead of the champions league game against Lille on Tuesday and Palace, one of the best home teams in the league, the plus 0.85 expected goal difference per 90 at home. That's in a thousand minutes of 11 on 11. So it's not that small of a sample we're dealing with here. Fourth best in the league, but they've been pretty unlucky. Only plus 0.17. So, you know, about six tenths of a goal per 90 different in terms of actual goal difference. So they've been pretty unlucky. Uh, the first time these two teams met again, back on opening day, not a ton you can read into it, but they did hold Chelsea to about 0.9 expected goals. It was a classic Tuchel win, 3-0 in the end, but really... Uh, Chelsea struggled to create big scoring chances. Uh, and there is still more room for regression for Chelsea. And, uh, you know, I think I, I know I've already bet against them in the Champions League. I'll be looking against them here. Uh, it could be a sneaky under. Chelsea attack and defense has both kind of gone toward unders recently, but neither one expected goal for or against in each of the last three Premier League matches. Uh, and then look, Palace has played well as a dog. They're, they outperformed City and Liverpool in, in their games this season earlier. They beat City, and they lost Liverpool, but won the expected goals battle. It was a 3-1 defeat, but really it could have been like a 2-2 kind of game. Uh, and then there was a late penalty that made it 3-1. But really, Palace was threatening to make it 2-2 very late. So they created a lot of chances in that game, and that was recently as well. So I think Palace is live here. I don't hate them on the money line. I took some plus one. It is juicy. Uh, I know there's it's up to minus 140, 145 now. I wouldn't play it past minus 150. I don't usually lay that kind of juice, but uh, I think this is a really good spot for what should be a pretty competitive, difficult, difficult spot. One of the worst spots of the year, I think, for Chelsea. Yeah, it's it's the worst spot of the year. Like you said, uh, Crystal Palace, the performances at home have just been so, so incredible. And honestly, really good against the top sides as well. As well. They've uh, basically faced off against Tottenham, Wolves, West Ham, and Liverpool at home. They've won the expected goals battle in all four of those matches and have a plus 4.8 expected goal differential against those four teams. Now, one of those Tottenham did have a red card, but still, it's still incredibly impressive to actually win the expected goals battle against those four teams at home and pretty convincingly as well. They, the biggest thing that I've, when I was uh, doing the research here, Crystal Palace tends to really struggle with teams that can get the ball out wide and swing crosses into them. They're not very good at, in terms of defending crosses. They're actually dead last in the Premier League in that category. Well, Chelsea offensively is 16th and crosses completed in the penalty area. So they, they won't be able to exploit Crystal Palace like they maybe should. The spot for Chelsea, they, even those two pretty uninspiring performances in the FIFA Club World Cup, before that, even in the Premier League, they had three incredibly uninspiring offensive performances in the Premier League. They created under, under one expected goal against City, Brighton, and Tottenham. I know they beat Tottenham 2 nothing, and it was you know somewhat convincing, but didn't really do a, a whole lot offensively also it looks like mason mount might miss this match which would be actually a pretty big blow to chelsea i know they have a lot of depth but he does lead the team in expected goals plus expected assists per 90 minutes so he actually would be a pretty significant blow to them especially in a sandwich spot with lil on deck in the champions league i can't even get close to chelsea minus 155 i only have them around plus 110 so i i'm right there with you i love crystal palace uh plus one i would definitely pay that juice up to minus 150 um and a little sprinkle on the money line uh, is going to be a good play, I think, as well. All right, let's move on to the last 10 a.m. match of Saturday. Liverpool is hosting 
Norwich City, Liverpool sitting at minus 900. Norwich at 25 to 1 to win one soccer match with the draw at plus 850. Uh, similar to the Norwich City match, I am pretty happy to pass this. I might look, take a look at both teams to score no, which is at minus 145, because like we've mentioned plenty of times, I think we're up to what? Zero goals and 27 allowed for, for Norwich against I believe the, it's 29. 29 goals. Okay, so negative 29 goal differential versus the top seven sides in the Premier League. That is shockingly bad. <laughs> um, obviously, the expected you know indicators say, hey, they should have played a little bit better, uh, whatever. I'm happy to just pass Liverpool, obviously, coming off a win against Inter Milan in the Champions League. And I believe they have a makeup match next week as well. So kind of a little bit of a sandwich spot for them. Uh, I'll, I'll be passing. Do you have anything for Liverpool versus Norwich? I do. Um, don't do it. I know what you're going to do, but, don't uh, do yeah. I mean, you, you see our show notes. Um, uh, so you know where this is going, uh, Norwich team total over a half plus one thirty, one thirty-five. Uh, I think it happens like half the time, but I mean, let's be honest, Liverpool's defense was pretty fortunate today against uh, Inter Milan to not concede a goal. Uh, the crossbar denied, Interbetters there. And there was a lot of very close chances that almost came off that don't quite go up in the expected goals charts, but overall, I think we're relatively dangerous chances. That's why we have expected threat, which I'm hoping we can get more into down the road as it becomes more publicly available, but Inter was threatening. And we go back to the Burnley match. Burnley created over one expected goal, got in behind multiple times. Look, I, I know it's just horrible. I don't want to bet this at all. Um, but I have to at the number. Uh, and so I think it's a bet that, you know, it wins half the time. And so at plus plus one thirty, I'm going to bet it uh, and I'm going to lose. But if you want to join me on some pain, uh, come join me, Norwich. We're going to, we're going to scratch and claw a goal out here. Liverpool, 19 goals allowed from about 25 expected allowed. Uh, and, and Norwich did produce 1.4 XG in the first meeting. A lot of that came after the game was decided. I don't care if they scored in the first minute or the 93rd when they're down eight uh, nil Liverpool will concede here. I think about half the time. So uh, plus one thirty, we're riding. Please pray for me. I will. I will pray for you and your family. Uh, I apologize. We have one last 10 a.m. Eastern match on Saturday. It is, and how could we forget it? Because it's Southampton hosting Michael's Everton Toffees. Southampton is a plus 105 favorite. Everton sitting at plus 255 with the draw at plus 260. Anthony, how are we feeling about Michael's Toffees going on the road to the St. Mary's Stadium to take on the Saints? You know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is back, and uh, his movement makes a big difference for this team. It's noticeable. Uh, they give him an actual striker, uh, somebody to play through, somebody who prior to all these injuries was looking at to be like an $80, $90 million signing to a big club. And you know there were United rumors out there. I think he would actually be an amazing fit there once they move off Ronaldo. With that being said, going on to this match, Saints just ran the gauntlet. They played City. They played Spurs. They played United. Back-to-back-to-back league games. They managed five points, and they – had a pretty impressive showing, but now you expect them to be a little flat here at home uh, against an Everton team who's been really struggling in the gutter and they're near the relegation battle. The win against Leeds was a step in the right direction for Lampard, uh, and I think they're going to continue to make improvements and move up. I don't think they're really a bottom five team, which the numbers suggest they are. Uh, the, the numbers on this match imply that they're considerably better than Everton, Southampton is. I don't really see it that way. I think they're pretty comparable. Uh, and therefore, the uh, home field advantage is a little too heavy here. I don't quite get to the number. So I'm taking Everton plus a half. And I think they're live to win this because I think Saints could be very flat 
uh, coming down off of some emotional high intensity games against United and Spurs on the road now coming home uh, could be flat. Yeah, obviously a lot has changed since opening weekend, but Everton did beat Southampton 3-1 and 2.4 to 0.7 unexpected goals. Now, if we go back to that, if I remember right, we were all saying Southampton is a potential relegation team. Well, that's obviously not come to fruition, but you mentioned it. Having Dominique Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison on the field at the same time is absolutely vital and huge for Everton. With both them playing, Everton averages around 1.4 XG per 90. Without them, it drops off to around 1.05. XG per 90. So it's a very, very big difference having those two guys in the lineup. Now, this is a situation where in the past we probably would have came on here and said, hey, you know, Everton struggles playing through pressure. They have all season long. Like it's not a good match for them playing against high intensity pressing that Southampton will give them. Well, with the personnel changes that they've had and then changes to the formation as well, bringing in Donny Vandebeek and Deli Ali, who have played at big clubs and have played against you know teams that are going to press them and not in some archaic 4-4-2 where it's just playing long balls up the pitch. Everton, I think, has a better chance at playing through pressure and then sustaining you know, triangle passing and getting the ball moving forward. Against Leeds, they only allowed them a 25% pressure success rate against the highest pressing team in the Premier League, which is actually pretty impressive. Now, they were at home and it was not a great spot for Leeds, but again, this is the potential of this Everton team. They're not just playing under Rafa Benitez 4-4-2 without the right personnel. They actually can be a pretty solid side that is, is pretty threatening going forward in attack. Like you mentioned, Southampton been through the fairly difficult part of their schedule. The performances at home have been good, but really not that dominant. Only a plus 1.2 expected goal differential. And they actually have a whopping seven draws in 11 home matches, which leads the Premier League. Uh, and So additionally, Southampton, really bad playing through teams that will press them back 16th in offensive passes per defensive action. Well, Everton actually has the third best pressure success rate in the premier league. So I am with you. I, I love Everton here in the spot on the road, plus half a goal uh, at minus minus one twenty to not only get a result again with you sprinkle on the money line a little bit. All right, let's move on to Sunday. We have first up Leeds United hosting Manchester United Leeds is sitting at plus 310. Manchester United is a minus 110 road favorite with the draw sitting at plus 270. If we remember uh, correctly, obviously these matches are the reverse fixtures of the opening weekend matches. So Manchester United famously thrashed Leeds 5-1 to one at Old Trafford, but I think they only created, what, 1.5 expected goals and scored in all four of their shots in the second half in that one. Obviously a ton has changed since then for both of these sides. Uh, United obviously has new manager, new personnel. Uh, Leeds is not healthy, still missing a lot of their best players. I love the over here. I'll let you, I'll let you start here, but I, I think this is, I, I think you agree with me that this match has the potential for a, a ton of goals from both teams. Yeah, I have both teams to score plus over two and a half parlayed minus one twenty. This is just a big matchup edge for United, and they've always had this matchup edge against Leeds, and they we kind of saw it in the Southampton match. United is so good at playing balls over the top to guys like Rashford, to Sancho. Sancho plays the balls over the top now. Uh, Bruno, you know, Pogba. They have so many guys who are good in space that when you give them space and you give them space to play the balls into over the top, they will thrash you. And that's exactly what happened really in the first meeting. And that's what happened when United put six on them last year. And the question is, does Bielsa adjust? Now, in the second meeting last year, he did. Uh, and he played more passive, more conservative, didn't quite go balls to the wall, uh, and they got a nil-nil draw out of it. They were a little fortunate, but New United was pretty flat. United here, I think, is starting to turn this corner. And we've talked about this for three weeks now. And the last four matches are a pretty good indication that they are getting better. 
Uh, 2.4 expected goals against Southampton, two against Brighton. Some of that, a lot of that came after the red card, but there were, there were other chances to score. I really thought that game should have gone over uh, and should have been really 2-1 at least. Uh, Leeds can still exploit some matchup edges in transition. And if United runs out of gas late, you know, against Leeds with Leeds running all over the pitch, uh, it could get ugly for United as well. So I'm not, you know, the, the tails on this game, the variance on this game feels very big. And I think in the second half, we could get a lot of goals. I do think both teams will score. And then I think second half goes either way. So I don't really love the side here on United, although you're, you feels like we're at the bottom of the market, minus 110 against Leeds, but they were minus 120 against Leeds on the road last year. So both teams are a little worse this year, kind of evens out. Um, but yeah, I like over two and a half on, with both teams to score. I do think this will be a little back and forth action. Uh, 2-1 United probably in the end, but think we're going to get some goals here. Yeah, I agree. I love over three goals at plus 105. Essentially the same exact thing. Leeds is now dead last in the Premier League in non-penalty expectables allowed, allowing 1.7 per match. And if we remember back to early in the season, we were saying, oh, this Leeds defense, you know, that's due for some positive regression. They're not allowing a ton of shots, not a lot of box entries. They just keep allowing way too many big scoring chances. Well, now they're allowing too many shots. It's around 15.4 per 90 minutes. And they're also allowing a ton of big scoring chances, 15 in their last seven matches. So for an improving Manchester United squad that has created 10.3 expected goals in their last five matches, actually starting to look like the offense that matches up with the talent that they have. I don't think they'll have any trouble essentially just running right through uh, Leeds' defense, who's still without Liam Cooper and most likely going to be without Stuart Dallas, who is their most versatile defender. Uh, so with a shorthand defense, I, I think it's going to be troublesome for Leeds. United is in a very, very interesting spot right now. I, I agree with you that they have somewhat turned a corner, but they've played a really easy schedule uh, under route since route Rangnick took over. And, you know, it, it we could say that this team is, is going to turn that corner when they have to play a bit better sides, but I'm very interested to see what happens now in this match. They're obviously not playing a better side than them, but you can say the defense is, is somewhat still of an issue in Rangnick's 12 Premier League matches in charge. United has only faced one offense in the top eight in terms of expected goals for, but they're still 12th in the Premier League and expected goals allowed. So they haven't really moved anywhere since Solskjaer left. And this is a look ahead spot for them. They have a huge match against Atletico Madrid in the Champions League on Wednesday, and they need three points to stay in the top four race. So I expect a full strength Manchester United squad. Uh, and I think they should be able to rip apart leads, but I do think leads will be able to hit them on the counter a few times. I have uh, 3.4 goals projected for this one. So I love over three goals at plus one Oh five. All right, let's wrap up the weekend. Uh, Wolves is hosting Lester at Molyneux. Wolves is a plus one thirty favorite with Lester sitting at plus two thirty with the draw also sitting at plus two thirty. I'll start. I actually do like Wolves in this spot and it actually kind of, it's, <laughs> it's somewhat troublesome. And I think it makes me a little bit wary. I don't know. I've said it plenty of times, but I think Wolves is the most unpredictable team in the Premier League right now. They obviously just beat Tottenham two nothing on the road this past weekend, have a great opportunity here to get back to back wins. It, I can't figure out their offense. They, they have the talent to be a top eight offense in the Premier League, but overall for the season, they're only averaging around one non-penalty expected goal per match. Now, over the last four matches, they have created 4.7 expected goals, so the signs of improvement are there. We've talked about time and time again, Leicester defensively has been really bad, but they did have a pretty good performance against West Ham this past weekend. They only held them to 0.7 expected goals, but they have a ton of set-piece issues, and that came to fruition uh, on the goal. Still couldn't cash under three. Still couldn't cash under three, yeah. Or even push. 
Yeah. So sad. I had over three. Um, <laughs> I know <laughs> that makes it, <laughs> that makes it over. Uh, box. Eh, we all get lucky every once in a while, Anthony, that makes it now 13 set piece goals allowed for Lester on the season. And Wolves is actually a pretty efficient team off of set pieces. Lester, the performances away from the King power stadium have been pretty bad. Uh, minus 4.5 expected goal differential, only 10 matches allowing a, close to two expected goals for match away from home. It's a good spot for Wolves, but it makes me very, very nervous because I don't know what to make this team. We've seen it time and time again, even when they're at home and they're favored, it's very, very difficult for them to get margin and actually create a lot of high quality chances. So I will probably be playing Wolves plus 130. I would love to get them draw no bet. It's obviously way too pricey right now for me to play that. Uh, but I will probably end up playing Wolves at plus 130 because I do have them projected at plus 106. Do you have anything for the final Premier League match of the weekend? Wolves overs. No. That's all I have. Wolves overs. No. Uh, they should have gone over against Spurs. Three Over three expected goals in the match. Couldn't cash in over two and a quarter. Pain. Um, once again, lockbox defense continues to never concede goals despite conceding chances left and right. It's incredible. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, but I, I don't have a ton here, to be honest. I, 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 two teams who I think should be trending in opposite directions in terms of overs and unders, and the number seems about right. I don't want to bet Wolves as a favorite. So there's just a lot of reasons for me to stay away here. And I've got to, you know, we, this is one of my favorite cards of the year this weekend. I uh, feel like I've had at least a, a read on every game. This one, similar to the Burnley and Brighton game, don't really have a strong read here. So happy to pass. But remember, Wolves overs. Well, let's then move on to a league where we're going to see a ton of goals. The Bundesliga, Germany. Uh, what is your best bet across Germany this weekend? You know, I think maybe our best read all year was this Greater Firth positive regression. Oh, yeah. They have played since December. They have played like an average Bundesliga team. They are 10th in expected goal difference and actual goal difference in this league since December. And now... They are going on the road to Big Bad Bayern, who just conceded four goals to Bolkum and, and a goal to Salzburg and two pretty poor performances again. I think it's a terrible spot for Greuther uh, in terms of a pissed-off Bayern team potentially hanging a crooked number on them. But, but, Greuther Firth will score. They're minus 105, minus 110 to do so. This Bayern defense has been leaking goals. Ulreich, the goalkeeper, significant downgrade from Neuer. This Bayern defense, not nearly as good with Tolisso in the midfield as it's been with Goretzka next to Kimmich. They're just not quite right. And they've been playing a back three and just shoving a ton of attackers on the pitch, playing Coman, Nabry, Muller, Sané, and Lewandowski. Uh, they're not getting a lot of defensive work out of those guys. So I think there's there's room for Greuther to score here. They did score in the last meeting. Uh, and I think uh, I'm going to be taking the team total over a half minus 105. I believe they held uh, Bayern Munich to their lowest expected goal output of the entire season, right? I believe they only had 0.9 expected goals in that one. That was uh, quite shocking. But yeah, uh, obviously I love Gruther as always. Uh, they are three, 30 to 1 on the money line for anybody interested out there to win just one soccer match against the great Bayern Munich. I will be going to, uh, I think this is probably what, game of the year? In, in the Bundesliga for this podcast. Friday afternoon, under the bright lights, Mines hosting Leverkusen. Mines plus half a goal at minus 140. Oh, man. <laughs> if there was ever a sell-high spot for Leverkusen, uh, and finally, maybe we'll actually be able to beat them. This is the time. They've won four straight matches. 
They've scored 16 goals, but only created 12 expected goals. But that is nothing new for Leverkusen, who have now scored 58 goals off of 41.2 expected goals. That is an insane overperformance for that long of a long of a time period. Now, I think some of that negative regression is going to come on Friday against one of our favorite teams on this podcast, Mines, who is an incredible defensive outfit, third in the Bundesliga and non-penalty expectables allowed only concede around 1.2 per match. And have also conceded the, the fewest big scoring chances in the league. Mines is a very active team in terms of their pressing their second, uh, second most pressures per 90 minutes in the Bundesliga and have the sixth most high turnovers per Opta that will come handy against Leverkusen who is eighth in offensive pass per defensive action and 11th in pressure success rate allowed. So not really that good at playing through pressure, Mines, they tend to struggle when they play teams that can press them successfully. Well, Leverkusen is not really that team. They're 13th in passes per defensive action and have the second fewest high turnovers in the Bundesliga. Finally, Mines, one of the biggest splits in the Bundesliga in terms of their performances at home versus on the road, plus 6.7 expected goal differential at home versus a minus three and a half expected goal differential on the road. It's a wonder goal grouper on Friday afternoon. Mines, plus half a goal and minus 135. I actually have them projected as a small favorite against one of the teams we hate the most on this podcast. All right, let's move on to Italy, your home country. What do you have for us in Serie A this weekend? Yeah, there's no place like home. Italy has not felt like home to me this season, but I'm going with the classic buy low on Bologna. Minus 120 on the money line. They've only won one game in nine. They've lost seven of those nine. So it's one win, one draw, seven losses in their last nine. I think we're at the bottom of the market on what is perennially a mid-table side. And Spezia has won three, drawn one, and lost five in their last five, trending up. But they've only won the expected goals in two of those five games. And one of them was a home game against Sauernitana, uh, where they got two penalties. So you have to really consider that this Spezia team was due for some positive regression. Uh, it came and they have played pretty well, but now it's time to sell again because I, I really just don't think there's a lot of talent in this side. Whereas Bologna, when you look at the attacking pieces, you'd expect them to have more uh, production than they've gotten out of this group this year. And uh, I'm buying low on them. And I think at home here, minus 120 is a pretty good price uh, pr- projected closer to minus 135. Yeah, I'm going to go Friday afternoon, the Turin Derby, Juventus hosting Torino. Yes, Juventus now has Serie A's leading goal scorer, Dusan Vlahovic, and their squad. But I don't think it's going to have a drastic effect on their offense, at least what some people think he might. If you remember, Juventus is still without and going to be without their best player, Federico Chiesa, for an extended period of time. And what is crazy is that the underlying performances of these two teams is essentially the same at this point in the season. Juventus has a plus 10 expected goal differential, while Torino has a plus 8.3 expected goal differential. So it's a little crazy to me. Obviously, you could say Juventus has a lot more talent than Torino, but for them to be this significant a favorite with one eye on a Champions League match against Villarreal on Tuesday, this is a classic just Juventus overvalued spot. Torino, I've mentioned it, I think, I don't know, 25 times on this podcast, but they're one of the best defensive outfits in Italy. Only 0.93 expectables allowed per match, which is the second best mark behind only Napoli. The reason for that is they hardly allow any big scoring chances, only 15 on the season. And they're the number one pressing team in Serie A by passes per defensive action. Juventus is decent at playing through the press, but not really one of the elite teams. They're seventh in offensive passes per defensive action. So I do think Torino will be able to maybe commit uh, Juventus into a couple turnovers, maybe a couple high turnovers that lead to shots. Torino has performed really well 
against the top sides of Italy. In seven matches versus the top seven teams in the table, Torino actually has a plus 0.3 expected goal differential. And even when they faced Juventus earlier this season, they lost on an 86th-minute goal. But the match was essentially even. They were dead even on expected goals, dead even on shot creating actions, and dead even on touches in the penalty area, along with progressive passes. So I only have Juventus projected around even money. So I love, 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 love Torino once again, plus one at minus 125 on the road to potentially get a result in the Turin Derby. Let's move to Spain for the weekend fixtures of La Liga. What is your best bet in Spain this weekend? Yeah, Bill Bow, Real Sociedad, both teams to score yes, plus 105, also like over two, minus 120. Uh, both clubs do for some regression, both pointing toward goals. Sociedad's been very inefficient in front of goal. They've only produced 24 goals this season from more than 30 expected. The club's average shot distance is right in the middle of La Liga, so you'd expect their chance conversion rate to also be right around the middle of La Liga. They take average shots, they get average looks, they convert at an average rate, but they don't. They're the second worst in the league, only Alaves has a worse rate than them of chance conversion. So I'm expecting that to come back up a little bit and Bill Bow 55 goals expected in their games. There's only actually been 45 and they've, they've started to come back a little bit three, two thriller uh, last match. And they played a few overs recently as well. So Bill Bow overs uh, and uh, Sociedad also on the list. So uh, happy to play the over here. The market just needs to catch up. I mean, this Bill Bow team is too good going forward to be continue to be lined at two against uh, an average attack in Sociedad. So um, I'm happy to play the open and the both teams to score. You could split it. That's usually what I do. Uh, but, you know, how you decide to play it, either way, we're looking towards goals. Yeah, who doesn't want to watch two of our favorite teams on this podcast in La Liga? Uh, I'm going to go Villarreal, minus 105 on the road at Granada. I know it's a look-ahead spot for Villarreal with the Champions League match against Juventus on Tuesday, but this number to me is too good to pass up for one of the more impressive teams in Spain over the past two months. Villarreal is a plus 1.29 uh, XG differential per 90 minutes, which is by far the best mark in Spain over the past two months. Their offensive numbers are unbelievably good, 2.24 XG per match in their last 10 matches. So I don't think they should have any trouble creating chances against a very, very poor Granada defense that is allowing the second most non-penalty expected goals per match, the most shots per 90, and the second most big scoring chances with 38 conceded on the season. Granada offensive end of the pitch has been really trending in the wrong direction as of late. They've only, you know, their form, they've only picked up two points in the last six matches, uh, only 6.4 expected goals in those six matches. And things get really bad for Granada defensively when they have to face the top teams in Spain. In 10 matches versus the top seven teams, they have given up a whopping 18.1 expected goals. So Villarreal, very, very much still alive in the top four race in La Liga and really, really needs three points here to stay in that race with Atletico, Real Sociedad, and Barcelona. I, this price is too good to pass up for me. I have Villarreal projected around minus 150. So I love them at minus 105 to grab all three points. All right, let's move on to France and Ligue 1. Do you have any looks in France for us this weekend? Not any concrete ones, but I don't hate the look towards Claremont foot. Uh, they have underperformed their numbers quite a bit as a newly promoted side to league. Uh, uh, Marseille comes into this, you know, they're my boys, uh, but you know, Wait, what? DJ likes to say this. What? You're going to bet they're against little, Marseille? I, I, that's why it's just a lean uh, because oh, I, I can't quite coward. get there, but uh, the, the number, the number is a little high for Marseille here and the attack really? has regressed. Really? Since Legitimate improvement from early in the season, but my boys have, have come down a little bit from that. Uh, they, they're a team who's always going to finish above XG because they have a couple of guys who get a lot of shots who are very good 
at shooting, uh, generally speaking, kind of like Tottenham usually is. Uh, but Marseille uh, definitely has a little bit of regression coming. My, my guy, uh, Diang up top, has not quite produced at the level that I thought he would after he had an excellent start to the season. Uh, so it would be a look towards Claremont foot plus one. Also don't hate the under there, but uh, nothing as a whole jumps out on the board. Although my St. Etienne boys, they're fighting. Okay. We're staying up. So I'm going to be looking for some spots for them as well. Well, maybe you have to look at a uh, St. Etienne to stay up. I know Caesars always post those odds. So that'd be an interesting one to figure out. Uh, I'm going to go for a little, a uh, little bit of a better match. I'm going to go lens against Leon. I think this is a fantastic sell-high spot for Leon, who has been running pretty hot in Ligue 1 coming out of the international break. They've won three of their last four matches. But this is still one of the worst defensive teams in France. They've allowed 34.5 expected goals in 24 matches, which is third to last in the league. And the big, they, they are maybe, throughout all of the Europe's top five leagues, maybe the biggest discrepancy between their performances at home versus on the road. Plus 14 expected goal differential at home versus a minus seven expected goal differential on the road in only 11 matches. In fact, they're allowing over two expected goals per match uh, on the road domestically, which is quite concerning for a club of their size. Lens has been in a, a weird run of form. They, they lost back-to-back matches to Marseille and Lorient, but they rebounded and beat Bordeaux this past weekend. Lens is one of the more solid defensive outfits in France. They only allow 1.13 non-penalty expected goals per match and their top five both shots allowed per 90 minutes and big scoring chances allowed. Lens is also a team similar to Brighton in the Premier League that profiles very, very well against the top sides in France. The reason is not only are they rock solid defensively, but they're also a top five offense in pretty much every single metric that we look at. And they also play through pressure incredibly well. They're fourth in offensive pass per defensive action, which is huge against a Leon team that's second, uh, the second best pressing team in France. Lens against teams above them in the table has a plus 2.2 expected goal differential. I was only lost the expected goals battle twice in nine matches against those top seven teams in France. So I actually have Lens projected as a small favorite. They actually have a better expected goal differential than, than Leon. So uh, I love their draw no bet line uh, plus 110. All right, let's move on. It's uh, one of our, our favorite segments of the podcast that hasn't really been going that well, but we're going to turn it around here our favorite underdogs of the week. And this is the portion where Michael would, is going to tell you to be careful. Uh, these teams are underdogs for a reason. Uh, they're not expected to win, but as we always say on this podcast, we think that they have a better chance to win than the market is providing. So Anthony, what is your favorite underdog of the weekend? Sticking in the Premier league, Everton plus two fifty on the road at Southampton. I think this is a classic sell high spot on the saints after they had three Big time games against top six clubs in a row. Got a result, a positive result in all three of them. Won one of them. Uh, And now they're going to host a team in a flat spot, Everton, who is getting healthier, getting Dominic Calvert-Lewin back. Think that improves their attack massively. His movement, his runs, the ability for them to cross the ball into him is a big part of, of this team. And I think there's some signs that they handled the leads pressure well and that Lampard is doing some adjusting. Uh, and if, if that's the case, I like this matchup for them to break through a couple of times and get a couple big chances against Southampton, because as well as the Saints have played, they will concede big scoring chances. That's just how they play defensively. One or two times a game, they're going to get ripped open. And if Everton takes those chances, they're a live underdog here. All right. I'm going to go to La Liga, Mallorca, plus 500 on the road at Real Betis. This is Sunday at 1230 Eastern time. Really, really bad spot for Real Betis here. Having to travel all the way to Russia to take on Zenit in the Europa League knockout playoffs on Thursday. 
and we spoke about it many, many times on this podcast, but the Real Betis offense, very, very good. You know, they're third in, in expected goals, four, second in shots per 90 offensively. However, this defense is still quite, quite bad. They're allowing around 1.3 expected goals per match, which I know doesn't sound like a lot, but in Spain where it's an incredibly low event, around 2.35 expected goals are created in total per match, it's actually quite high. The main problem is they're highly susceptible to giving up big scoring chances. In fact, they've allowed 33 on the season, which is 16th in Spain. Well, Mallorca basically just lives on big scoring chances offensively. They've created 29 already this year, which is seventh in La Liga. The problem for Mallorca all season long is they've they've ran into teams that can press them successfully. They've been really bad trying to play through pressure, but that shouldn't be a problem here against Real Betis, who's in the bottom half of La Liga in terms of high turnovers and pass per defensive action. And Mallorca just got a huge upset win against one of our favorite teams, Athletic Bilbao, uh, this past weekend. So I think this is a really good spot for them uh, facing a Real Betis team who's had who's going to have a lot of travel, a lot of mileage coming into this one. So I like Mallorca plus 500. All right, let's move on to our best bets for the Premier League slate. Anthony, what is your best bet in England this weekend? Leeds and Manchester United, both teams to score and over two and a half parlayed minus 120. This is a stylistic matchup that has gone very well for Manchester United's attack in recent seasons. They put six on Leeds two years ago. They put five on them in the season opener. I know that came with some overperformance in terms of expected goals, but United's ability to hit balls over the top with Fernandez and Pogba into Sancho and Rashford and then get it into Ronaldo in the middle should be able to rip apart this Leeds team. If Bielsa makes some adjustments, that may not work as well. But overall, I also think Leeds has a stylistic advantage. Their ability to pressure the ball and really wear out Man United with a high-energy, high-intensity game, similar to how Southampton did, should make this a wide-open, high-tempo, free-flowing game that both teams will score. And then I think United's more likely to win it, given the talent gap and disparity. But overall, I think there'll definitely be multiple goals in this game. So both teams to score and over two and a half parlayed. Minus 120 is my best bet. All right, I'm going to go Crystal Palace plus one at minus 145 at home against Chelsea. You're not going to find a better spot for Crystal Palace against the top four side this season. The Eagles have been in incredible form at home all season long, plus 8.5 expected goal differential at Selhurst Park, which is the fourth best mark in the Premier League. And they've actually performed really well against the top sides. They've faced Tottenham, Wolves, Liverpool, and West Ham at home. In those four matches, they've won the expected goal differential in every single one of them and have a plus 4.8 expected goal differentials. So with Chelsea coming back from the FIFA Club World Cup, where they had two pretty uninspiring performances uh, in their route to actually winning the FIFA World Club World Cup. Before that, in the Premier League, their performances were offensively, at least, were left a lot to be desired. They failed to create over one expected goal against Manchester City, Brighton, and Tottenham. So going up against Chris Palace defense, which is top five in the Premier League in non-penalty expected goals allowed, this is a great spot for Crystal Palace to not only get a result, but potentially win uh, against Chelsea, who's also in a look-head spot with a Champions League match against Lille coming up this week. So I love Crystal Palace plus one at home at minus 145. All right, that'll do it for another episode of Wonder Goal. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back on Monday morning, breaking down the next round of Champions League matches, along with some Premier League matches, and maybe throw in a few Europa League matches. Make sure to download the Action Network app. Leave us a five-star review if you can. It really helps us out. So for Anthony and myself, we'll catch you all on Monday. Good luck this weekend.